Today's passage comes from Luke, chapters 23, verses 32 through 46. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood there, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insult at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. And this Trinity Church is God's word. It's a, really, um, it's a really sobering passage. It's a sobering passage to focus on on a day whenever we're talking about resurrection. <clears throat> we're talking about new life and the new life that God can give to, to all of us. Uh, but sometimes it takes setting something beautiful against a dark backdrop to really set off the beauty, doesn't it? If, if any of you have ever gone engagement ring shopping and uh, you, you had them bring it out from the back, they probably laid it over a black piece of velvet so that you could see how beautiful it was, but the contrast really made it pop. You know what I mean? Like in the same way, have you ever gone through something that you wouldn't have chose? You wouldn't have wanted it to be that way and you wouldn't necessarily ever choose to go through it again. But you did go through it and you're on the other side and because you did, you appreciate what you have now just a little bit more than you would have without it. It's one of the good things that can come out of, out of difficulty. You know, it's interesting. I had no idea Ashley was going to share that story uh, this morning that she shared during the, the transition. But um, that's kind of the way that, the way that we're going. 
Uh, I, I had my own birth story to talk about, not mine, but for our, our first child. Uh, whenever whenever um, the year of our Lord 2006, seems like a million years ago, doesn't it? <laughs> but Crystal and I married a couple of years and uh, having our first child, she was pregnant with Adeline, who is uh, now about to turn 14. And um, you, you know how that goes if, if you've been through it or you've seen your parents have another sibling. You're gearing up for it, you're waiting, you're excited, you're nervous, you're preparing, you're doing stuff, and if you're doing it for the first time, you're utterly confused and you're overstressed and you have no idea what's going on. And I remember the day came and um, things were moving. We went to the hospital really, really early in the morning, still dark whenever we got there. And um, as, as you moms know, these things can take some time, and that day, things took some time. So we're there for hours, and um, in the movies growing up, and perhaps some of you uh, experienced this, back in the day, they didn't let dads be in the room. Do y'all remember that? And so for me, it was a movie thing. There are all these movies and TV shows where birth is being given back in a cave somewhere, and a dad is, a dad is sitting nervous in a waiting room, and a doctor comes in, and he says, Papa, you've got a girl. Or dad, congratulations, it's a baby boy. Or sometimes it would be something terrible, right? They'd walk in and they'd deliver the worst news. I'm so sorry, um, we did all we could. And it was everything always hanging on, hanging on kind of a knife's edge. Whenever I was in the room, because you got to do that in 2006, and I'm assuming afterwards too, um, part of new technology is they, had, they, can have, they have a wire for everything. So it's not just Crystal's heartbeat that's being monitored. Adeline, even though she's in the womb, her heartbeat is being monitored too. And I'm sitting there and I'm supporting and being as useless as I could possibly be. But, you know, doing my very best while I'm at it. And so we're at it and, and things begin to progress and labor really begins. And it is the most amazing thing I've ever witnessed. Seeing my wife deliver children, I've never seen anything more amazing than that. And so I'm in awe as that is progressing, and, um, but then it stops coming along. It stops really progressing, and there on the monitor, uh, Adeline's heart rate begins to go down, and it begins to go down, and it increasingly gets slower. So they're encouraging Crystal. She's focused. She's got the eye of the tiger. She's working on delivering this child. And so Crystal's focused here. I begin watching the nurses because I'm seeing them look at the monitor and I'm seeing them look at each other. They have the mask on, their eyes are getting a little bit wider and finally one of them looks and, and goes like this. She shakes her head and the, the supporting nurse turns and she leaves the room quickly. Moments later, doctor comes in the room popping those gloves on and he goes, okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get this little girl out right now. And they perform a... Um, a surgical intervention, and we went from scary moment, lowering heartbeat to proud parents just seconds later. I mean, he came in, got her out, those arms and legs popped out like this, <laughs> most amazing thing, and I, and I was so, I was so, so proud. Um, but things almost didn't turn out good. Things could have went very, very bad. Things were going very, very bad until they left the room and they brought in an interventionist, somebody who could step in, change the situation from what it was and help it go better. Whenever we speak of the resurrection on a day like today, 
we can't just speak of the resurrection without speaking of what Jesus was resurrected from because that's where the beauty is. And so that's why Jackie reads us a story of him being crucified between two thieves. And so here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that today, if you've been following Jesus as long as you can remember, and this is absolutely a cornerstone tradition for your life, I hope you're encouraged sort of anew about just what it was Jesus went through. Um, If you're just here today because you had an opportunity to wear pastel colors and you you were invited, you were invited by a friend, by a parent, by a family member, and you're giving me the honor of, of a hearing today, for you, I'm hoping that you can experience the love of God, knowing that it wasn't simply a resurrection, it's what he was resurrected from, and the reason that he went through it was for you. It was for me. So here's the idea this morning. My first point, we can only really get the good news of the resurrection if we get the bad news of the crucifixion. There's only good news because there's bad news. And the bad news is that um, the best person who ever walked the earth was crucified for crimes he didn't commit. That's terrible. So they brought Jesus to a place called the skull. You're at a bad place if you're at a place called the skull. And they crucify him there between two, between two criminals. Don't let yourself lose the horror of that story. I mean, that is, it's awful. We can hear some things, we can really hear anything so much that eventually we tune it out, even if we're not meaning to. So whenever Russia first began invading Ukraine and bombing it, how many of us were, you know, on the news every time it comes up? Oh my goodness, this is a, this is terrible, massive nation against a smaller nation, uh, unprovoked, what's going on? And it has the attention of the world, but then we have stuff to do and we move on and it takes increasing levels of horror for us to be like, oh yeah, something really bad is happening there right now, Right? And so we move on and then we hear something like, okay, it's not just that Russian forces, forces are bombing cities, they are now executing Ukraine civilians, tying their hands behind their back, shooting them in the back of the head and throwing them into the street. And so it takes these increasing levels of horror to kind of get our attention at just how bad the situation is. Well, let's talk about Jesus on the cross. I mean, we sometimes use that for decoration, or for a necklace. But it's really the most horrific of situations, the most horrible thing, the most pure, giving, loving person ever, God in the flesh, who had time for anyone who would cry out his name, who healed the blind, who raised the dead, who fed the hungry, he was crucified for, what? Like, what did he do? Like, why was, why was he crucified? And one of the interesting things is, is that um, I realize we're in 2022. Um, most historians still consider the crucifixion to be the most brutal form of punishment that humanity with our God-given creativity have ever been evil enough to come up with. It's still ranked up there. In all the, all the processes that we've come up with for capital punishment, that is still the most awful thing perhaps that has ever been invented. And the actually being nailed to the wood, that part for Jesus was kind of the cherry on top because before he got there, he had been whipped with a whip that had metal and bone tied into the end of it. 
Historians say sometimes you could hear screams from a mile away. People's bodies were literally torn to shreds, exposing intestine, muscle, and bone. This was all before he was crucified. And then once they got you on those two pieces of wood, and they put nails through your wrist and nails through your feet, and they lifted you up off the ground, what you were in for was a slow, steady, torturous death, literal torture by suffocation. Because the only way you could breathe was to pull yourself up by the nails, taking a deep breath. When you exhaled, you were down on the nails that were on your feet. People could hang on that cross for, for days. And yet Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. In that process, Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How could he possibly still have his mind on others. I shared this at a Good Friday service in Cedar Hill, but most of us weren't there. I I heard a few years ago a firsthand story of a guy that had a massive heart attack. Not a warning heart attack, one of those massive cratering widow makers that somehow he survived. And he was talking about the pain that he went through, and he said, pain so filled like every corner of my mind and every millimeter of my body that I couldn't even think about being in pain. And if you think about that, you'll, I think you'll get it because if you cut your hand, you're, it hurts, but you're able to think, I cut my hand. If you're in an accident, I've been in an accident. You drop something on your toe. Oh, cuss word, I've hurt my toe. But what he said was this. He said, I was so enveloped by pain that all I could do was suffer. I couldn't be conscious of the pain. I could only suffer. I've never had a heart attack. I don't know what that feels like. I've never been crucified either. Don't know what that feels like. But I would imagine that if I could think of anything in those moments, I'd be thinking of how much I was suffering. And here is Jesus praying for those who were putting the nails through his body. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who does that? They divided his clothes and cast lots, a special commemorative edition. Hey, I got the robe of the guy who claimed to be God. People are taking that stuff away. They don't realize what is happening in that moment. And people begin to mock him. So the crowd is standing there. He saved others. Let him save himself. And then the guards, oh, you think you're somebody special, king of the Jews? If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Nobody's even fighting for you. And then to me, this is the biggest insult of all. An innocent man being crucified between two criminals, one of them turning his head toward Jesus and mocking him, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. And while you're at it, save us. He says, save yourself and us. It's an interesting reaction to have towards the Son of God while he's dying for you, isn't it? In a different way, I don't think that reaction is all that rare. Because some of us do hear about the love of God, that God sent his Son. But the thing we wrestle with is if God is that good and that powerful, how come I have gone through what I've gone through? Why didn't he stop that? Why doesn't he change that? But my friends, if we learn anything this morning, 
we've got to see that there are even more important things to be delivered from than the worst we can go through on this side of heaven. It's hard to imagine, but it's true. And whenever you look at Jesus on the cross, here's one thing you can't say. No matter how deep your pain is, no matter how much you've suffered, you cannot say he doesn't care and you cannot say he doesn't get it because he's gone through the depths of suffering, the deepest things, the most inventive forms of torture that could ever be created. So the bad news is the only truly innocent, perfect person that's ever lived was murdered torturously, and he didn't save himself. That's what everyone's mocking him. You're a savior, save yourself. And nobody can figure out, if you are so great, why aren't you doing anything? Here's the point, though, and it's good news. Jesus didn't save himself so that he could save us. He didn't save himself so he, couldn't, so he could save us. And Jesus had moments along the way. He, he'd tell people as this process is starting, hey, don't you know I could call down a legion of angels if I wanted to be delivered from this? He actually told his disciples, really, ultimately, at at the deepest level, no one's taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. He's cooperating willingly. And so the criminals, these guys are paying a price to society. They're getting what they deserve. Jesus is paying their price for God, and he's getting what they deserve. You see, you aren't just here on earth. You're not just alive. You're, um, you're created. You don't just live and die. You live, you die, and you stand before your creator. And so in these moments, you know, they thought they were taking Jesus's life, but he was laying down his life. They thought that they were punishing him but he was taking their punishment. They thought that they were making him pay, but really he was paying for, he was paying for them. He was paying for their sin. And that's of course what the cross is ultimately. Scripture tells us about sin and what is sin? Sin is living against our purpose. Sin is not doing the good even we know we should do. Sin is violating the commands and purpose of God. Who here has not done that? A lot. I can't even live up to my own standards 100% of the time. And so when the Bible says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I'm right there. Like, yes, I'm that guy. I did that. If God has glory, I've fallen way short. And yet one man looks at Jesus and mocks him. He's not looking at himself, at the things he's done that have put him where he was. He mocks him. But the other guy has a different response. And I hope for some of you this might be a response this morning. He says, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment. This is one criminal criminal to the other criminal. We are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things that we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. And so if Jesus is doing that for me and for you, it's not right, it's not fair, it's just love. We don't deserve it, he just wants you. He just loves you. He wants you to be with him, and so he's made a way to make that happen. 
Like, don't you appreciate justice? I mean, we want mercy ourselves, but we want justice for others, right? That's why we have these sayings. I'll list some sayings. I'm going to say it. I bet you can finish it. What goes around? That's right. You're on fire. Your past will come back to? If you make your bed, you're going to? You reap what you? You're always going to get what you? We get that, right? We'll all stand before God one day, and apart from divine intervention, which he has made, we just have to accept we will get what we deserve. Really only two options. Jesus pays for our sins, or we do. And so this guy, this guy, a guilty guy, crucified along with Jesus, has the audacity in his dying moments to say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What would you have said to that if you were high on justice and you were being crucified with him unjustly? Might you not have said, hey, you're trying to slip in at the last minute? A little too late. You had a whole life, buddy. You know, might you have said, hey, you made your bed, lie in it. Do you realize you're right here? Hey, man, you reap what you sow. And yet Jesus doesn't say that. He looks at this guilty, sinful guy, and he says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this guy had no opportunity to live a different life. He couldn't turn his life around because his life was over. Jesus said this to a guy who couldn't do a single good thing to outweigh the bad because he was busy hanging on a cross. He couldn't go do something nice for somebody in his last moments because his feet were nailed down. He couldn't lift his hands to God because his hands were nailed down. He could not get baptized. He couldn't join a church. He could not do anything that we would think would justify somebody in the eyes of God. And yet he really did the only thing that can make any of us right with God is he looked at Jesus and said, would you have mercy on me? And Jesus received him. Jesus received him. Who is that good? Just God. Just God. And this really good news, right? If you're still breathing, God will still take you. Jesus loved both of those criminals equally. He would have received either one of them. He would have received both of them. That could have been a moment and both of them could have been in heaven with him. We could have met both of them in heaven one day. We will meet one and we won't meet the other. Jesus wants you. The question is, do you want him? It's a real question because not everybody does. Not everybody thinks they need it been doing this a long time. I've been told, I get that you need that. I feel like I'm strong enough without it. It's not a question of, are we strong enough? It's, are we right before God? And so Jesus actually said, he said, I didn't come for the healthy because it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. And Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the unrighteous. But it turns out that really there are only people that know they need a doctor and people that think they don't. There are people that know they aren't righteous and those who think they are. And we have two words to describe those people, self-righteous. We can't be that way. I begin to wrap 
up when we talked about doctors a few times today, so let me just do it one more time. Um, going back to that hospital 14 years ago, the situation really was desperate. And those nurses didn't want to lead on, but they were really cool under the circumstances, and I will always be grateful. But my deepest gratitude goes out to that doctor and how he came in, he took control, he didn't let things run their natural course, and he saved my daughter's life. There was another hero in the room too, my wife. Any mom who brings life into the world, going through labor, going through pain, going through sacrifice, because the joy on the other side is so great. How any mom decides she ever wants to do it again, I don't know. (laughs) Easy for guys to decide, let's do this again. Not so much, not so much for a mom, right? Jesus said, no one can see God unless they are born again. And it was Jesus who on the cross went through his own labor, laid down his own life, so that anyone who believes in him doesn't have to die, but have everlasting life. So the last thing I want to say to you is really this. The resurrection changed everything. And that can be good news for everyone. The resurrection happened whether we acknowledge it or not. And there's no other explanation for the church worldwide because of all of the pressure that they were under to discount Jesus. The Apostle Paul actually, in, in talking to a king one day about Jesus, and the guy, um, the guy saying, do you really think you can convert me? And Paul says, listen, I know you know what I'm saying is true because this stuff I'm describing didn't happen in a corner. And scripture also describes 500 people who saw the risen Jesus at the same time. Apart from the resurrection, Paul says, we should be pitied more than all people. But because of the resurrection, we should be full, full, full of hope. Amen. Let's pray.